0: Are you looking to optimize your performance, grow your mind, and change your system? Well, you've come to the right place. I'm Brad Baker. And I'm Tom Broback. And, and this, this is the Bold Base Performance Podcast.
1: Hello, friends. Welcome to the show. Today, we have Coach JT Ayers back on the podcast. We love our chat with JT so much, we decided to bring him back for round two. Today we're going to talk about building trust with your athletes as a head track coach, developing athletes to be outstanding human beings later in life, and the most important book for a track coach. Hint, it's not about track. Make sure you check out his website, coachairs.com and the TFC website, trackfootballconsortium.com. We are also letting our listeners know we are coming out with a brand new course, Athletes with Asthma. This course is going to address all the pillars of performance in regards to any athlete that faces the challenges of asthma in their sport. From breathing drills, to workout plans, to mindset training, this course will revolutionize the way athletes, parents, and coaches tackle the challenges of asthma. We have partnered with NBA dietitian Kylene Bogdan for this course, and the three of us could not be more excited to get it out to you. Stay tuned this summer for our Athletes with Asthma online course. Let's continue to grow the mind, optimize performance, and change the system.
2: I had a um, a coaching mentor of mine in the early part of my career say that If you like it or not, you're the face of the program. And that responsibility is a really important one. And everything you do needs to be something, and I'm paraphrasing, but it needs to be something that emphasizes what you want your program to be about. So the responsibility of being the face of the program means, um, one, I do think you need to be yourself. Uh, I think kids nowadays, um, especially the athletes that you are coaching, they see right through authenticity if it's there or if it's not. And I never wanted to be a coach or a teacher um, that was one way in the classroom, a different way in the field, and then a different way at home. Like what you see is what you get with me. And I do think that's important because I do think at some level there's integrity that has to do with that. The way that I speak to my athletes is the way that I'm going to speak to my best friends is the way that I'm going to um, shepherd and care for my own children so it's important that as coaches, our responsibility to be a leader and to be a person of influence, it really matters the way that we speak, the words that we say, how we articulate those things and then what our actions. Now, that doesn't mean I don't get frustrated or upset or disappointed, but as a coach, I'm going to be the first one to ensure that um, I'm apologizing, you know, uh, I've never sat an entire team down. Um, all 150 of them or whatever. And, and all told them that they were doing something wrong, Um, especially in track and field. It's so individual Um, taking kids aside. Doesn't take much time. It takes effort. So now I mention all that because kids go home and they speak, kids go home and they talk. I would love for the kids that go home, the athletes that are in our program, go home and talk to their parents about the positive experience that they're having, the ways that, I was disappointed in how I articulated that, how my expectations were as clear as possible. And so kids feel that they're held accountable. And parents, I mean, I'm partnering with them to help them with their kids. So they're going to feel the full weight of um, that relationship that I have with the parents to help influence their sons. And I only coach boys uh, currently. So um, the things that I tweet, the things that go on YouTube and other social media platforms, the website – um, anything that I broadcast, it is all for the public and it all needs to be from a, from a viewpoint or a lens of integrity. So um, the question you asked is a really important one, Tom, and I think it's really important that the way the kid, the parents feel their kids are cared for because those parents are definitely going to be the ones that support you, uh, don't challenge you. They're going to know that you know what's best, or at least you've tried to do what's in the best interest of their kid. So I don't really have a whole lot of issues with parents um, challenging me, questioning me. In fact, I feel the exact opposite. I feel a whole lot of love and support. And that's, that's what we want.
0: So while you were talking there, I was thinking about the idea of imposter syndrome. And it's something where, as you alluded to, by being your most genuine self in your profession and in all the other things that you do, it just allows you to feel more comfortable and confident that you are being yourself because I think that like everybody at every level has some form of imposter syndrome right like if you're if you're a lawyer but you like to go home and watch certain like rom-com movies or if you're like me like I'm like a physical therapist but I love fantasy football or like there's things where it's like you you almost feel like at certain times oh wow I'm I'm in this position or like you like you're a coach and you're in front of all these people but like you just love movies or there's just like that kind of um, I don't know, I guess that point of thinking that you're like not worthy almost um, at times. But I think when you're able to be your most genuine self and just show that to the world, like, Hey, this is me and I love movies or whatever it is, it allows Mm -hmm. you to just be so much more free in your own skin.
2: Oh yeah, for sure. And I think every single coach, Especially the ones that really care about being influential in kids' lives, they need to think real hard about how they execute their leadership. So, for instance, I live very close to the high school, and uh, my wife and I really go kind of extra lengths to ensure that um, they're involved in the process too. I would love my kids come to the track meets. I have four um, little ones; they're ages 11. Eight, eight, I have a boy, girl twin, and then a seven-year-old. And so they're all very close together. They come to the track meets and they see me be dad, you know, and they see me be a uh, husband. And they see that, you know, these things that I tell them I value, they see firsthand. And some of the most influential things that I'll ever do in my life, especially with my track team, is um, being an example in a positive way. So some of the things that we also do is Monday mornings at 6 a.m., we have leadership meetings in my garage. We'll open the garage. I'd grab bagels down the street and seniors and captains. So sometimes there's 15 to 20 kids in here. Uh, we're going through leadership training. And the reason why Monday at 6 AM, um, if you're serious about doing leadership or you're serious about being influenced in some way, especially a high school kid, you're going to get up and you're going to get there. And if you're not serious and I've had some of the best athletes that's ever come through the school, some of them had just said, I'm just not interested in getting up at 6 a.m. I go, that's great. That's okay. You don't have to do this. This is for those that desire this and, and want something better. So um, they get to come to my house and they see where I live and they see that, um, you know, I am who I am. And because of that, when I ask them to run a lactic, uh, you know, a- you know, anaerobic lactic stack workout, or I'm asking them to go run the four by four. I don't have people complain. They see that I'm genuine and they see that they can trust me. And, um, you know, I think we'll talk about that a little later, but the, the way that this generation is, I don't want to call them soft. Cause they're not, they're different. They're different than the last generation, my generation, and they're different than my dad's generation. And, and every generation has been so different in the way that you coach, the way that you lead, how you motivate. Um, if you're an old school coach, uh, that's great, but you always need to find ways to lead those that are in your care, and you have to pay attention to that.
3: I have like 20 thoughts after you, that little speech right there. Okay. Well, I'll try to give take me- them one at a time. <laughs> the first one, I'm always super intrigued how teams select their captains because uh, from the outset it's always like, oh, the best player is probably the captain because they're probably the leader, they probably worked the hardest, and they probably give them the most, especially in track it's always interesting because there's so many different events and so many different like pockets of athletes. How do you select captains for your team? Like what does that criteria look like? And has that changed over the years?
2: Uh, Yeah, it's changed over the years. Not too much. Um, And I don't know if there's one great way to do this. Uh, I know there's some programs that will have their uh, athletes, the team, the program will vote for certain kids. I don't do that. Uh, The way that I do it is, you have to be a junior or senior. Um, you have to be someone that the coaching staff, so all the assistant coaches and myself, agree that this is somebody that's worth investing in. And then we ask them to, um, we ask these athletes to apply. And so they apply. They have a small interview with me, and basically during the interview, I'm telling them that to be a captain, it's a, um, it's a position of service. So they have to come to the 10 weeks of leadership training on Monday mornings. Um, I'm going to ask them to meet with me often and talk about the team and pick out the gear. And so some of those things are like a really fun responsibility. But what comes with that responsibility is extra time, extra effort, extra opportunities to serve your team behind the scenes. And the only thing the captains really get is on their letterman jacket. They're able to buy a captain's patch. And um, but yeah, they work to learn how to be leaders. And I don't think so much to be a captain at the Tribuco Hills track team is so much for, it is a little bit, but so much for that particular season it's for 10 years from now or 15 years from now. And um, those are the ones that are end up being great leaders. Um, but not all of them. So we have a small group of captains um, this year. We had a pole vault captain, but the year before that we didn't have anybody in the pole vault area. That was a captain. Um, just because the coaching staff didn't think we had anybody ready yet. So um, look around your program. Who is leading without you asking? Who is a captain before you even give them that title? You have to be serving and leading before you can even have the opportunity to apply for that position. I hope that makes sense.
0: Absolutely. Tom, I'll let you jump in with the other 19 questions you came up with there. But um, I think the biggest thing that you said that I take away is like you're – You're not just coaching athletes to be better athletes. You're coaching humans to be better humans down the road.
2: Yeah. um, You know, this brings up something that, you know, I've been thinking about often. About seven years ago, I stumbled upon this survey. And the survey was, it took a, I think it was about 3,000 different student athletes at this small university in Texas. And they said, how do you want to be motivated? And they gave a list of different criteria that are really good characteristics of a great leader, like things like altruism, empowering others, humility, love, service, trust, and then vision. And it gave definitions for these things, and it said, "List which of these following categories you care most about." And so, as I was reading it, I was actually, um, I was actually kind of interested in the results because. Trust was like 35% of the whole, um, you know, the whole test, and and the survey results said trust was 35%, and then love and empowering others were followed, like 16 to 15%. So way down the line, and then it followed suit with like service, altruism, and humility. But what really kind of caught my eye, and I decided I was going to do more with it, was how much or how important trust was. To the athletes of this generation, right? So, I get to teach a class at the high school that um, I'm able to give this, you know, uh, this survey to. So I made my own, basically same concept. And for the last six years, I've been giving this out to my students and my team. Um, and at what the results have been similar, but yet trust is more like forty percent. 40% of every single kid, doesn't matter if they're an athlete or just a kid in my class, trust is the most important of all the aspects of a leader. So the basic, you know, if you want to th- if you want to think about how to motivate this generation, any coach needs to hear that young people today are motivated by people they trust. They demonstrate love towards them and they see their worth and they seek to develop them. If you're able to do that, And you need to think about ways that you can do that. I mean, the way you speak to them, the way you cast vision, the way that you care for them, even the events you put them in, how you speak to them about, you know, after a four by four or after a fall in the hurdle or after a rep that wasn't their best or not even showing up to practice. If you're able to motivate people by showing them that you, that you're someone that's trustworthy, you're going to be able to get kids and athletes to do anything. And that's this generation. And we can make inferences and we can make hypothesis about why trust isn't so important. Maybe it's social media, maybe it's the news and regular media, maybe it's just um, you know, kids are being lied to on occasion. Maybe it's leaders in their past have done. So. I don't know. Maybe it's all of the above. But it doesn't change the fact that my culture in Southern California at this high school in Mission View is motivated by people they trust. So everything that I do that includes. And, I, and I'll be totally transparent here. On Mondays, I'll show them the workout for the week and why we're doing it. I don't get questions and I don't have kids argue with me about why they're doing something because I've given them a, an opportunity to see that. I put the time, the energy, um, I sought out counsel and wisdom. This is a workout that's good for you in this way. They will do it. They'll do a good job. So how can you get your kids to trust you um, I never wanted to be a coach that sat around and said that these kids are soft and these kids are weak and, um, it's probably cause they don't trust you.
3: The trust factor, I really appreciate because it goes beyond just saying like, oh, I trust you. It means that let's say like your 6am meetings, if a kid misses one, like the trust that you, that he's going to come next time just goes down and it might take a long time for that to rebuild. So it's that putting in that work every single day, every single week, that you're going to do what you say you're going to do and I'm going to do what I, what I say I'm going to do. And it just goes way beyond just a couple words like I trust you or I can trust you. Um, but also with this generation, I think, especially, and I'll include millennials, which I, I guess I'm a part of. I don't like to identify as millennial, but there's so much information out there that we've never had before. It's really easy for me to know a lot about a certain thing that my parents' generation might not. And then there's some conflict of interest there. And it kind of goes back to someone like the speed workouts you do. If you run three forties, that's probably much better for the kid getting faster than doing, you know, 10 hundreds, but the three forties looks, you know, softer air quotes than like to, to like an older generation where it's like, you gotta be working harder. And it's like, it's more efficient and we have the knowledge and information to be more efficient, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's softer or weaker or not better to do something that's better for the athlete, the goal you're going to.
2: If your athlete can come out of your program and be your best assistant coach, because you, they've been trained by you for four years and they understand the ins and outs of energy systems and, um, you know, race planning or even like, race paces of like a four and what the first four to six seconds of that race should look like or um, how you achieve a good 300 meter hurdle time and what a trailage should look like i mean all these things should be taught not just told so yeah i think some of the your best assistant coaches are going to be your former athletes and if that's true then you're probably a coach that's worth something
3: i really like how you dove into like the why behind the workout too because a lot of athletes and, and just people in general, like whether you're in school or work, they just get told what to do. And like the, the why is never concrete or it's never fully explained. And you're not gonna buy in if you're just saying, Okay, he told us to do this today, like we're gonna go do it. And that's why you see these these deviations from you know the norm or from what is productive or healthy or or better for for people, is take the extra especially if you can explain the why in under like 50 words and just like this is what we're doing this is why we're doing it i hope you guys understand this and then let's go from there instead of trying to just hammer into them you need to do this you need to do this you need to do this like you're taking that extra time in the front end so in the back end when they're juniors and seniors they're already Mm bought and like right when they're out of high school they can be your assistant coaches because you've taken the time to invest in them and they appreciate
0: that buildup of trust so much more than just being a robot and being told what to do. Well, not to mention when the juniors and seniors have that built in where they have the understanding and they trust what you're doing and then the underclassmen see that they have trust in you and they have an understanding of the concept, then it it just builds more of a learning and growth atmosphere.
2: Yeah. And there's a couple of things that we've touched on a little bit. You asked about parents and also explaining the why. If you want to garnish any kind of trust with people, you have to effectively communicate And that takes effort, and that's hard, Um, you know. And if anybody's listening to this podcast, this is probably a good, good spot to start writing down some notes because there are some things that I've just been able to do that has been very effective, and has not been really, you know, there hasn't been a whole lot of cost except for maybe a little bit of my time. But once you get good at something, it becomes a lot easier. Having a manageable and good website where people are able to go and receive information in a way that makes sense to them. You're going to garnish trust that way because you're giving them the information. So you can go to Squarespace and build a very simple website for very low cost. And you can make it have the URL domain name. Like there's platforms in 2020 that make it easy for anybody to do these things. So Squarespace is a great place. That's where we've built our website. And you can just go to tribicotrack.com and take a look at it. Um, And we have tons of stuff on there, including um, dual meet order of events. We have news. We have places to get pictures. I have tryout qualifying marks. Um, I even have, like, after we're done with this, I'll put this podcast on there if people wanted to listen to it. A website is a good way to broadcast to your community right now uh, what's going on and what's relevant. But also anybody else is interested in what you do, this is a way to broadcast that. So communicating is extremely important. And the way that you send emails, you know, the hard part about in today's world is that with technology the way it is, with time the way that it is, and the way that people use that time, everybody has a different way that they prefer to be communicated to. And so you the answer isn't I just do this. The answer is you have to do all of them. And so, like Twitter is for networking with other coaches and broadcasting things at a wide audience, Instagram, honestly, for the kids, Facebook for the parents. And there's not a lot of kids in my, in my demographic that care about Facebook at all, you know, and then there's not a lot of parents that really care about Instagram. So knowing and what to do and keeping those things in tension really matter. So we use MailChimp. Uh, MailChimp is free um, unless it gets to a certain number. So, I send an emailed newsletter with links, PDF, Google Docs. I make it very easy to read. I put pictures on there. It's easy to share. When I send a MailChimp out, I can send it then to everyone's email. I send it to Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook all at the same time. So I'm just casting this vision in this net wide with, here's what you need to know. As a result of that, we don't have a lot of people that ask questions that take a lot of my time because I like to go coach. And so... If I want people to have information, I'll get it out to them. And now I have a fully sufficient community that knows where to go get the information rather than just always look to the head coach, always look to the head coach, always look to the head coach. They know where to go. And not only that, but they can ask other people in the stands even, hey, what's the next event? And the parents can say, oh, right here, rather than come find me on the field when I'm trying to figure out who's going to run the 300 hurdles or the four by four later or what. And I'm trying to win the meet. So being to effectively communicate is so important. Um, now, what I'm about to recommend, uh, how about this? What I'm about to tell you, I do not recommend because I did not do it in a good way. But by, we've, we've, we're too deep. So we have to keep going. Um, we built an app. So we have the Tribuco Hills track team has an app on your phone. And mostly the app um, links up with the website. So they go together. So if you wanted to know the order of events or you wanted to know what your kid was running and potentially at what time you can sit there on your phone and, um, I never want a parent to miss their kid run a particular event. Dual meets are hard, but you can give them a general idea about when that race kind of will happen. Uh, but we have an app and, um, it was very tiresome to create and, uh, but there are platforms online and, um, If you know of one, you can DM me on Twitter. That's better than what I'm using. Uh, But having an app for your program, who does that? You know, and it's something that you can do. And especially right now, when we're all quarantined. These are things that you can continue to develop and build a foundation of communication that's going to garnish more trust with your community.
3: I really want to touch on the website because I've spent countless hours looking for like a high school team's schedule just like what teams do they play and is it home or away or for college. It's like, what TV, like what station are they on? Like, are they on ESPN or are they on ABC? And there's so many times you can't find that basic information. And it's, it's infuriating because I'm not asking for that much. All I want to know is where do you play and how do I watch you? So I really appreciate you giving the plug for, for every team having their own website, if able, because it just makes it simple. It also really ties very nicely into how you deal with your athletes in terms of being efficient and setting up systems and programs ahead of time, so down the road it's it's really less work for you and it's more ownership. Uh, whether for the athletes and when it's a training or for the website and the schedule, it's on the parents. Like they know the website is there. Every question they have, they can just go to there instead of having 300 times a day. Like coach, what time's the meet? Coach, where's the meet at? Coach, yeah. when is It's like you are helping yourself as much as you're helping the parents. And that just shows a sign of an effective leader and a very efficient leader at that too.
2: I hope. And if we're talking about trust again, if you go to a website and it's janky and it's bad and it's not put together, it's hard to find all the, all the above, how are you building trust with people if you can't put time into something that helps so much in this day and age? So, Having a good website, when I get compliments on the website, that's, that's so, that's one of the best things that I feel so encouraged and affirmed by. Um, it takes time, but also, and I hope any, any head coach that's listening, you don't have to do it. Um, a good leader is one that can delegate efficiently, right? So I don't do the Instagram page. I'm an assistant coach that's 21 years old and he's awesome. And he was a, he wanted to do the Instagram page. Now before he posts anything, I ask him to check with me just so I can ensure that any vision that we're trying to portray or cast out. um, And also it's good to get checked on for accountability's sake. And there's one unified vision that's being broadcast. So our website, you'll see things like, I mean, we had, we made posters and it was really cool of the kids and they're all like looking, you know, ripped and they're doing things and they're super cool. And they got the, you know, I, you know, we made big posters and we gave them out to parents and stuff. You go to any division one program in the United States and in NCAA college track, and you think, wow, look at Oregon. Why does Oregon have all this awesome stuff? You can have that stuff too. Now you don't have Phil Knight and Nike. So what are you going to do? There is workarounds in today's day and age. So here's an example. I know nothing about graphic design. And I'm not going to pretend I do know anything about graphic design or Photoshop or any of that stuff. But you know who does? A guy named Siska. Siska lives in Indonesia, and he's been giving me stuff for uh, seven years now, and he's really inexpensive because money goes far in Indonesia. He told me that $200 will feed his family and rent for the whole month. So I like to think that I've put that guy in a new tax bracket. So (laughs) just the stuff that we've done. But how did I find him? Um, there's this website called 99designs. It's worth looking into. Basically, you go on there and say, um, I need a cool logo, or I need a, um, a banner, or I need a website. I need something. You put whatever price they put. Let's say it's $200. I'm going to give you $200. And what happens is all over the world, all these different graphic designers come to this platform and they basically bid you different things. And so what you do is you narrow it down. You say, I like these five graphic designers. I'm going to continue to work with them for a while. So you work with them for a week and you keep asking things. And eventually you choose one person that you like. You get, they're the only ones that gets all that $200 money. And I'm sure 99designs takes their cut. But then you have your thing and you got the, you basically had 50 to maybe a hundred different graphic designers all over the world, from Russia to Indonesia, to the United States, to, you know, who knows where, and they're giving you their best stuff. Well, I did that one time. We had a, we have a really large invitational that we run, uh, the true Hills invitational. And I had him do a logo and I liked him. And I wrote him an email and I said, Hey, um, would you just work for me? And so I don't have to go through 99 designs anymore. And he was like, yeah. And so he gets me things within hours and I tell him what I want. I tell him how I want it. He just changes it. He, he does all our stuff and he's really inexpensive and, um, and they're awesome. So our program, how about this? I tell, I tell, uh, I tell my athletes, I go, Hey, how good was Oregon track last year? And they go, Oh, probably amazing. They're always amazing, but they have no idea. The only reason our athletes think they were good is because they look good. And you know what? Looking good matters. Your website, that's branding and that's marketing. Uh, Your uniforms, man, you better believe I spent a lot of time in making sure our kids look awesome in uniforms, buying them sleeves. Um, I got them a special black uniform that says, you know, it's all Nike and this and that. I do anything that I can within, you know, a budgetary reason to ensure that the kids look good. They're part of something that is, um, well, frankly, is cool. And so you got to think about what do our kids, what are the athletes that I coach, what do they think is cool? And that goes back to the trust factor, but my kids, they think Nike's cool. They think the website's cool. The pictures that I have on our website are free because parents have hobbies. And I ask the parents who has a hobby of photography and these parents come to the meets, they get to go down on the field and they get to, um, well, I get to take full advantage of them being fully dived into and, you know, with their hobby of photography. And we put those on a Flickr account. Every single kid gets a, you know, super high resolution, awesome photo of themselves multiple times, even. And then I use those photos for the website and the Mailchimp and the social media platforms and things like that. Um, that's fun. That's the fun part of coaching is being able to develop these things that look cool. And you know what? I hope this isn't selfish. I like looking cool. You know, I want to wear cool gear. I want my shirt to have a TH for Tribuco Hills. Look awesome. And, man, just go on Twitter or Instagram and, or even a Google image search and just check out other programs. What does TCU do? What does Oregon do? You know, what does Illinois do? What does um, USC do? That's a cool shirt. Okay, fine. How can I make that Tribuco-related? So go out there, steal ideas, make them their own, and uh, make sure not, there's no copyright infringement. I really don't want
3: to insult you because you've read – too many books to count but have you read shoe dog
2: oh yeah i love shoe Dog.
3: um i'm a little little late to the party but i just read it this summer and it was absolutely you brought up Oregon and nike and i read it and it was absolutely it just like really spoke to me how if you have a vision and a mission you just like you can't quit you got to keep knocking on doors you can't take no for an answer you got to keep trying even if you're living at your parents' house when you're 25, even though you have your master's from Stanford and you graduate from Oregon, like, Bill Knight just never quit and he never took no, and he always believed in himself and the people around him. And it just it just sounds exactly what you're doing with your team is, yes, you might not have the backing of, like, a superpower like Nike, but you are finding ways to make your kids feel successful and, like, empowered and cool. And everyone wants to be cool, especially in high school. Everyone wants to look cool Mm -hmm. and feel Mm -hmm. cool and be cool and if it all it takes is you find a graphic designer and building a website which is a lot of work on your end but the kids just see it as wow he really cares about this program he's all in on us and like we want to do our best like for him and we want to do our best for our parents and each other um i just thought that was a really cool really cool uh way you had on it
2: yeah thanks um well and then involve the kids in the process too uh I like when the kids come to my classroom at snack break and go, Hey guys, I want to design a really cool, like state bound uniform. So if we go to state, this is the uniform you're going to wear. And the kids get involved with the process. And yeah, there was a, uh, there's a track meet and it came down to the four by four, which is every great dual meet, you know, anything that, if it comes down to the four by four, that's a good dual meet. Right. Especially if you win the four by four. So, um, I love the fact that like there was a meet where we were we were up by four, and if we didn't win the, you know the the four by four, they were going to take the five points and, and beat us sixty nine to sixty eight. Right? Um, I walked out with black uniforms because we typically wear white uniforms with a blue bottom. Um, I was like, hey guys, I think I think this is this is the right moment. And they're like, what are you talking about, coach? I was like, um, I have something to give you. And you're not gonna give it back after me, but I mean, this is what the professionals are wearing. This is this is the material that makes guys like Wade Van Niekirk and Justin Gatlin and Noah Lyles and my you know, guys names that these guys know. By the way, I, I think it's true. I don't know. So I give them, <laughs> I pull out I pull out a black uniform and these kids, dude. Think about a 17 or 18 year old, even a 16 year old their eyes just get super big. I guarantee you every kid that ran in that race, all four of them, they ran a second PR and they won the meet because they felt like they could, you know, we, I gave them a reason to aspire and it's something as silly as here's four uniforms that are different and black and cool. And not only that, but you helped design, you remember that, you know, or, um, yeah, I fully believe that. And, uh, I don't know. I don't know you know, we might be on a tangent here, but if you're thinking about motivating your kids, every single coach that may be listening to this podcast coaches somewhere different than somebody else. You're the expert of your culture, of your school, of your demographic. It might be a rural school in Illinois. It might be a private school in Southern California. Um, you are the only person that can be an ambassador for your culture because you're the only one there. So my, my athletes are very different than down the street that is a football powerhouse um we're not a football powerhouse yet we will be one day because the coach at our school is a great guy and great coach um but all i can care about is the type of kid that i have and not only that but year to year to year it's a different team it's a different group of kids the kid that was a freshman and now that's a junior that's a different kid and they've grown up and they matured hopefully um but they've changed and so i have to pay attention to that and you know to why frankly it's exhausting But you have to do that if you want to be an effective leader.
0: Yeah, if you're a coach listening to this, I would rewind about 17 minutes on the podcast and listen to that all again. Because I think something that is super important when I'm listening to other podcasts, which I do often, is I like when there's actionable things that you can do. Like you talk about empowering athletes, but also just building a program. And you gave, you know, four to eight things specifically that you can do um with like websites and things to reach out to and if you're especially a new coach building a program i would honestly write all of that stuff down that jt was just talking about because that is a that's a game changer and that's how you build trust and that's how you build a program um so i man just like i was saying last time you were on like the way that you are able to articulate things i think is second to none and that's why so many listeners got value from last time you were on that's why i brought you back on again Um, I do want to dive a little bit more into sleep because we've talked about training and um, obviously like building a culture and things like that. But let's dive a little bit more into the recovery side of things and the importance of some of these other pillars of performance and health um, that sometimes people don't give enough attention to.
2: Okay, so, man, I'm so glad, Brad, that you mentioned this. You know, it's funny is that all the things that we're talking about, I have even dived in about how to run the 100 meter dash, I haven't, you know, what the the most, the best way to run a 400 or how I like to execute a 300 meter race plan, you know, because I think a lot of people have, you know, theories and things that you can seek out and search for those. And by the way, if you have a question for me, like, I'm willing to listen to you because I'm trying to learn as well, but just DM me on Twitter. But one of the most important aspects that the last two years that I've become really kind of entrenched in is this idea of sleep. So Matthew Walker, Dr. Matthew Walker wrote a book called why we sleep. This might be the most important book on coaching track and field out there. And it sounds super weird and, and interesting, but there's things in this book and it's, and it has to do with the generation that we coach because, okay, here's an example. Uh, I'm only, I won't say names, but I had an athlete, phenomenal athlete, um, anxiety through the roof depression through the roof um i was asking questions and i was going to his house because he missed practice and he was just like really honestly like in a really awful shape he just could not get out of bed sometimes and he had like a 4.5 gpa um we couldn't figure out what was the issue well then you know after probing and talking to him and just having that's the best thing about being a track and field coach is how much time you have just to have general conversations with kids He mentioned. Um, that he doesn't sleep like his sleep habits. Cause he's doing homework till 2am and he gets up at 6am to do more homework and then go to school. And, um, there's a lot of things to be said about the efficiency of his work and what he was doing or not doing. This kid always got hurt and I couldn't figure it out. And as if you're a track coach, you know how frustrating it is for athletes to get hurt and random weird injuries like, it, it came out of nowhere. And then fast forward to the next year, we have another kid doesn't sleep. Um, to the point where I'm calling his mom and dad and saying, please, you have to check on him and make sure he's sleeping. Go see a sleep doctor. Do these things. Like he will not get to the state finals if he doesn't sleep. And I was serious about that because, again, year after year after year, he was getting hurt. So in, in Dr. Walker's book, um, sleep affects the cognitive and physical performance in the long term and short short term, he was saying things that like what we know about sleep now uh, is what we knew about cigarettes 50 years ago. Like we didn't think of that big of a deal. And with binge watching and with um, our phones and technology and iPads and things like that, um, we're killing our ability to sleep. So the basic premise of the book is the shorter you sleep, the shorter your lifespan. So you can never get back to the sleep you lost. If I got four hours last night, I can't sleep 12 the next night and think oh, I averaged it out. It doesn't work like that. So, um, there's something we, we, I asked the kids and I don't make it mandatory, of course, but I, the, especially the, the kids that are real serious about it, the kids that will go to state finals or, you know, uh, a national televised track meet at Arcadia or Chandler, Arizona, uh, they downloaded the sleep cycle app, which is free and it monitors your sleep. Um, every once in a while I'll say, Hey, what, what was your percentage last night? And they'll show me their sleep percentage. And you can look up it and look it up and figure out the science of how it works. And um, I actually have it myself, so the kids challenge me too. Uh, if you're getting anything to less than eight hours of sleep a night, especially if you're going under six, routinely, uh, physical, physical exhaustion drops by 10 to 30%. Uh, aerobic output is significantly reduced. Uh, there's impairments for an observed in limb extension, vertical jump in the height. And correct me if I'm wrong, but a sprinter is very interested in putting and applying force into the ground right? To generate velocity. If you're not sleeping good, you're not going to run good, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's these basic ideas that you only grow, you only heal in your sleep. And you have to get to that, like that non-rapid eye movement sleep, which is like phase three. And then phase four is the REM sleep, the rapid eye movement sleep. But like, rates, uh, like there's a faster rate of lactic acid buildup and reduction in blood oxygen saturation. If you don't sleep, there's even the ability to cool yourself down, which is like sweating. You may not sweat efficiently if you're not sleeping. So what's the most important thing you can do if you're a sprint coach, literally teach your students, teach your athletes how to get a good night rest. Is that crazy? Like recovery and sleep might be the most Effectual thing my, is effectual even a word? I'm sorry, I got, I'm on a roll, but let's <laughs> keep rolling. It is so paramount to sleep well, and there's something else. So, I've, I've been asking my students, especially during this quarantine time, when I send homework home, one of the last questions is, "Tell me your sleep cycle. You know, what is your circadian rhythm?" So, in the book, he basically talks about and hypothesizes that any adolescent teen, which is exactly who I coach, um, their natural circadian rhythm is late to bed, late to rise. So if we ask a student athlete to get up at 6 a.m., that's like asking me, you know, a fully grown adult to wake up at 2.30 in the morning or 3 a.m. to get up. It's just hard to function that early, right? Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I sent that out and, you know, every student every week this morning, I was going through all the you know the different google doc and i have it organized and everything every single kid not even one is not even one outlier right now goes to bed late and gets up late that's the way that their natural circadian rhythm now my little my little kids they go to bed at 7:30 and they get up at 6 a.m and that's and they rock uh, i know this because they're always waking me up you know so um uh, as an adult, I go to bed at like 10 and I get up at like six, you know, or or 530 or whatever it is. Um, if you think you are a person that doesn't need a lot of sleep, you're wrong. You know, like maybe Jocko Willink is the only guy in the world that can get two hours of sleep and then go like jujitsu your face off. You know, like he's the only one that can do something like that. But he's a Navy SEAL and I'm not.
3: He's a different breed.
2: Yeah, Uh, a couple
3: couple points there. It does say in the book, like your self-assessment, if you're sleep deprived or not, is a horrible indicator. So the people who think they're not sleep deprived, that's actually a horrible indicator. Do not take their subjective assessment if they are or not. Um, But yeah, that book, I've told so many different people about it. The importance of it is second to none. And I do want to go on a little tangent here. I had a perfect segue between track and sleep and then brad stole it from me but he did such a good job i cannot get mad at him i had and this you're really gonna appreciate this um i had a dream the other night it was like saturday night that i was back in high school track and i had i was at a section meet and we had a 110 hurdler who won state in in real life not in the dream in the real life he won state in section senior he went on to play football at ndsu he's a great guy and uh In my dream, he got ninth in section. So he got last in his heat, and I was just bawling in my dream. And I knew if I would have woken up at that moment, I would have been, like, pretty distressed because it felt really real. And that's the power of dreams that that can have on you. But in the dream, my high school track coach came over. I don't recall what he said to me, but he said something that he would normally say in real life, and it really comforted me. And that is the power. I've been out of high school 10 years now, and that is the power of a dream can have like both on. I'm still thinking about it five days later, um, but also the power of a high school track coach can have on an athlete. Like ten years later, they're still thinking about some of those meets, some of those sections, some of those those races that they ran. So I think you would have appreciated that, but also tied in very well into dreaming and sleeping and the importance of taking care of yourself on the recovery end as well.
2: Yeah, um, well, and post-performance too. Uh, in the book, he talks about the idea that sleep can accelerate physical recovery, like even just common inflammation. Um, it stimulates muscle repair. It restocks cellular energy in the form of glucose and glycogen. I mean, these are things that if you're a track coach, you really care about because we're, we need to care about uh, recovery. Um, I can't sprint a kid every single day the same way. I need them to be able to sleep well and recover well. So, you know, like four weeks before the state finals, I'm sprinting the kids and we're doing great workouts. And, you know, I may be reducing how we do things and and really kind of honing in, but I care about the recovery. I want them to show up to CIF finals one week, masters qualifying the next week, state prelim state finals, the following week, well-rested, really happy. And so that means I like, our uh, for our state prelims, it's in the afternoon and our state finals is in the afternoon. Um, they're taking a 30 minute nap and 30 minute because I don't want them to get into any kind of like deep sleep, really, really kind of like create a lethargic kind of thing. But 30 minute nap. I mean, every kid last year was, you know, on um, teenagers are really good at napping. They just don't take the time to sit down and nap. So they were napping. And then after our track meet, we came home. And it was midnight because our four by four was so late, went to bed and got up at nine. we are just continuing to do the natural things they're good at, but sleeping, sleeping well. And that might be the best thing you can do to give your kids the opportunity for peak performance.
0: And I want to add to that too, because it's something that um, Tom and I preach often is the importance of recovery. And it's nice because like, every athlete is going to like hearing, hey, you just need to get more sleep or things like that. And obviously their sleep cycle is pushed a little bit later back. Um, and during the school year, that's a little bit tougher to do. But uh, yeah, it's like, especially in this quarantine, it's like, hey, I want you to become a better athlete. I want you to get more sleep. Like that's way better than going out and running 40 killers every day, you know, um, and it's way more effective as well. And I do want to add to, I don't think you mentioned, but it's from that same book. Um, why we sleep by Matthew Walker, where he references a study of athletes who got um, from like nine hours of sleep down to maybe like five hours of sleep. Um, And athletes who got six hours of sleep a night compared to those who got eight hours of sleep a night had a 50% increased risk of injury. Um, Which is like, yeah, (laughs) that's, that's a game
2: changer. And so here's the hard part. No, no coach can walk their kid home and say, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to hold your hand. And then we're going sure to make sure you, have, yeah, make sure you have, you know, no blue light from your cell phone an hour before sleep. And, th- and you know what, to be quite honest, we're trying to teach these kids to be disciplined and self-sufficient, right? So how do you keep them accountable by encouraging them? Um, I mentioned it earlier, but I like the sleep cycle app. Uh, it just, it literally just called sleep cycle. Sits right next to your bed, and while it's charging, it, um, I think it listens to your breathing patterns, which sounds kind of creepy. But um, it, and you know, and there's other studies that talk about it being a placebo or not. I don't care. You know, it's something to tell your kids. Okay. It tells, they turned it on when they went to bed, shows them when they went to sleep, shows them their uh, quality of sleep and when they got up. And, and then if you do it for long enough, which my athletes do, it gives you like, are you staying regular? Are you regularly going to bed at the same time and getting up at the same time? Because that's also important because your body gets used to that and it starts getting into deep sleep in a more natural, better way because your body understands, okay, this is, this is tired time. And that's why you're so tired on Mondays is because you stayed up late and you broke your circadian rhythm on Friday and Saturday because you stayed up late. And then, you know, if you're a teenager, you stayed up really late and then you got up at like 4 PM the next day and asked mom you know, when's breakfast, your mom's like, I'm making dinner. And then you question that and you think if it's the first meal of the day, is it dinner or is it still breakfast? I mean, these are these (laughs) philosophical questions that you're not going to be able to answer if you're sleepy. Breakfast
3: or dinner is one of the best meals though. If you make like eggs and French toast for dinner, you're going to have, you're going to have a good, uh, a good night. But Another thing I like that uh, like track coaches and other coaches do is they'll do a vertical jump test or they'll do a timed 10 or a timed 40 at the beginning of practice. And if you're 10% off your usual numbers, it's just an indicator that your body's not ready to go. And it's probably from a stress. And usually that stress is either sleep related, maybe something happened in school or at home. But there are ways as a coach you can figure out are your athletes taking care of themselves on their end. And you're doing your best, too. You're not keeping them there super late. You're not having them come in every every weekday at 6 a.m. You're optimizing the schedule so they can take care of their
2: stuff on their own, too. The one thing that's going to be constant, and it's really important to remember this, and it's hard to, is that we coach teenagers. And it doesn't matter if you're a college coach or a high school coach. The one thing that you can count on, the only thing that you can count on is that something is going to happen to that teenager during the day, Uh, a bad experience with the teacher or uh, someone's going to make fun of them. They're going to get bullied, whatever. Um, They're going to get a good or bad grade on a test or an assignment, or let's say everything went great. And then they went on social media and found out that um, they're not as cool in their own mind to somebody else or somebody from an, oh man! Somebody from another school at another state ran a time better than them at a meet they were not even at. I mean, that's that's who we're dealing with. When I was co- when I was running, I didn't know who ran what until Sunday morning in the paper. My athletes probably had never seen a newspaper. You know, like this is <laughs> the the generation that we're coaching, and so but they can go on mile split or prep Cal track or Instagram, and they can literally follow kids that they've never met and think like I had a kid yesterday. Randall, let me go. Hey, what's my rank in the nation? And I was like, you're 29th. And he's like, Oh man, it's like, Oh man, you know, don't compare yourself to those Texas kids. That kid's probably 23 years old and he, you know, and he <laughs> ran great. and It was downhill the whole way or whatever, but the comparison is a thief of joy. And then you're going to get to practice and that kid is going to have a weight on his shoulders. So what do you do as a track coach? Um, you ensure that they're sleeping well, that's going to help. You give them a culture and an environment where they can come in and know that this is a safe haven. This is a place that they can remove the tension of their day and feel good. So you do things like nasal breathing and RPR. You're teaching them things that help them get in a frame of mind that allows them to be the best self. I mean, this is something that adults need to do too. I can't come home after having a frustrating day at work, walk into my house and be frustrated with my family. You know, that's no, no, no. Like. You figure out ways to get yourself in a frame of mind, in a mindset, and it's going to be very hard to do if you're not sleeping well.
3: One of my favorite things that the TFC community does is it emphasizes each athlete needs to compare to their previous self if they're improving or not, and not so much against other people. Because if you're always getting better than you were a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, that is what truly matters. And if you're always comparing to other people, you're always going to lose that battle. There's always someone faster. There's always someone stronger. There's always someone who jumps higher. And the important thing is, are you improving both as an athlete and as a human being to your previous self? And if you keep going on that trajectory, you are going to hit – you're going to go past what you thought your ceiling was, and you're going to bring yourself to a new level. And that's what matters Mm -hmm. most. And that's why we appreciate – having people like you on the podcast because you really emphasize the things that really matter. And we're, we're definitely going to have you on for round three here. The round two was so, was so uh, encouraging and rewarding and we really emphasize sleep, which ran our big components of. So we will have you on. Thanks again for taking time to chat with us, JT. We appreciate it. And uh, uh, stay tuned everyone else for, for future podcasts coming up with JT.
2: Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, the fact that we just turned the sequel into a trilogy. I mean, is there anything better than that? That's yeah, I am excited. Um, and if anybody has any questions or anything, then, uh, please just DM me on Twitter. And then, um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm constantly asking questions from people that, uh, are more knowledgeable or doing something that I can definitely enhance, uh, pay attention to coaches on Twitter. And Tom just alluded to this that are, um, recording, ranking, and then publishing their athletes, not to compare you, but for them to, they're showing you how their athletes are improving. Um, that's a mark of a coach that's helping their team be accountable. Um, during this quarantine time, I really can't coach anybody, but I can coach my four children because somebody's going to get coached in my house. And so, uh, my, I have a Google doc and it's measuring their, um, 23 second drill, their 10 meter fly, their 30 meter fly. We're going to start doing 40 yard dashes um, we, they're comparing themselves to others because the last thing I want is my 7-year-old to compare himself to the 11-year-old. And you know what? We have kids that do that on our track teams. So give your kids an opportunity to see their individual improvement and it's gonna be, you're not going to see them never not improve. It's going to be a very long and sometimes uh, there's going to be a lot of plateaus in that process. However, if, if your coach is taking the time to, and it's totally a Tony Holler thing, with Feed the Cats, record, rank, and publish, that's the best thing I've ever done as a coach because I am now a big fan and I'm an encourager. I'm not a disciplinarian and a tactician to these athletes. And so they, they're they excited to see improvement because I've given them an opportunity to do that.
3: You just got me excited. I want to go out and run some 40s. I might do that later today with Brad here. We'll see how the weather is. We'll sit 90 here, which for Minnesota, that's actually warm. I know that's a uh, cooler day for you, probably out in California. But like I said, we're excited to have you on to complete the trilogy. And hopefully, like Star Wars, we have a trilogy of trilogies of podcasts down the road here. So have a good rest of your day, and we'll be in touch, Coach.
2: Thanks, guys. Good talking to you.